Section 8 of The Letters of Mark Twain Complete. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Letters of Mark Twain Complete by Mark Twain. Volume 2. Chapter 7. Letters 1867. The Traveler. THE VOYAGE OF THE QUAKER CITY Mark Twain, now at sea, was writing many letters, not personal letters, but those unique descriptive relations of travel which would make him his first great fame, those fresh first impressions preserved to us now as chapters of the innocents abroad. Yet here and there, in the midst of sightseeing and reporting, he found time to send a brief line to those at home, merely that they might have a word from his own hand, for he had ordered the papers to which he was to contribute, the Alta and the New York Tribune, sent to them, and these would give the story of his travels. The home letters read like notebook entries. Letters to Mrs. Jane Clemens and Family in St. Louis. Fial, Azores, June twentieth, 1867 dear folks we are having a lively time here after a stormy trip we meant to go to san miguel but were driven here by stress of weather beautiful climate yours affectionately sam gibraltar june thirtieth eighteen sixty seven dear folks arrived here this morning and am clear worn out with riding and climbing in and over and around this monstrous rock and its fortifications summer climate and very pleasant yours sam tangier morocco africa july one eighteen sixty seven dear folks half a dozen of us came here yesterday from gibraltar and some of the company took the other direction, went up through Spain to Paris by rail. We decided that Gibraltar and San Roque were all of Spain that we wanted to see at present, and are glad we came here among the Africans, Moors, Arabs, and Bedouins of the desert. I would not give this experience for all the balance of the trip combined. This is the infernalist hive of infernally costumed barbarians I have ever come across yet. Yours, Sam. At Sea, July 2, 1867. Dear folks, we are far up the intensely blue and ravishingly beautiful Mediterranean, and now we are just passing the island of Menorca. The climate is perfectly lovely and it is hard to drive anybody to bed, day or night. We remain up the whole night through occasionally, and by this means enjoy the rare sensation of seeing the sun rise. But the sunsets are soft, rich, warm, and superb. We had a ball last night under the awnings of the quarter-deck, and the share of it, of three of us, was masquerade. We had full, flowing, picturesque Moorish costumes, which we purchased in the bazaars of Tangier. Yours, Sam. Marseille, France, 
July 5, 1867. We are here. Start for Paris tomorrow. All well. Had gorgeous 4th of July jollification yesterday at sea. Yours, Sam. The reader may expand these sketchy outlines to his heart's content by following the chapters in The Innocents Abroad, which is very good history, less elaborated than might be supposed. But on the other hand, the next letter adds something of interest to the book, circumstances which a modest author would necessarily omit. To Mrs. Jane Clemens and Family in St. Louis, Yalta, Russia, August 25, 1867. Dear folks, we have been representing the United States all we knew how today. We went to Sebastopol after we got tired of Constantinople, got your letter there, and one at Naples, and there the Commandant and the whole town came aboard and were as jolly and sociable as old friends. They said the Emperor of Russia was at Yalta, thirty miles or forty away, and urged us to go there with the ship and visit him, promised us a cordial welcome. They insisted on sending a telegram to the Emperor, and also a courier overland to announce our coming. But we knew that a great English excursion party, and also the Viceroy of Egypt, in his splendid yacht, had been refused an audience within the last fortnight, so we thought it not safe to try it. They said, no difference, the Emperor would hardly visit our ship, because that would be a most extraordinary favor and one which he uniformly refuses to accord under any circumstances. But he would certainly receive us at his palace. We still declined, but we had to go to Odessa, 250 miles away. And there the Governor-General urged us and sent a telegram to the Emperor, which we hardly expected to be answered, but it was, and promptly. So we sailed back to Yalta. We all went to the palace at noon today, three miles in carriages and on horses sent by the emperor, and we had a jolly time. Instead of the usual formal audience of fifteen minutes, we stayed four hours and were made a good deal more at home than we could have been in a New York drawing room. The whole tribe turned out to receive our party, emperor, empress, the oldest daughter, Grand Duchess Marie, a pretty girl of fourteen, a little grand duke, her brother, and a platoon of admirals, princes, peers of the empire, etc. And in a little while, an aide-de-camp arrived with a request from the grand duke Michael, the emperor's brother, that we would visit his palace and breakfast with him. The emperor also invited us, on behalf of his absent eldest son and heir, aged twenty-two, to visit his palace and consider it a visit to him. They all talk English, and they were all very neatly but very plainly dressed. You all dress a good deal finer than they were dressed. The emperor and his family threw off all reserve and showed us all over the palace themselves. It is very rich and very elegant, but in no way gaudy. I had been appointed chairman of a committee to draft an address to the emperor in behalf of the passengers, and as I fully expected, and as they fully intended, I had to write the address myself. I didn't mind it, 
because I have no modesty, and would as soon write to an emperor as to anybody else, but considering that there were five on the committee, I thought they might have contributed one paragraph among them anyway. They wanted me to read it to them, too, but I declined that honor, not because I hadn't cheek enough, in some despair, but because our consul at Odessa was along, and also the secretary of our legation at St. Petersburg, and of course one of those ought to read it. The emperor accepted the address. It was his business to do it, and so many others have praised it warmly that I began to imagine it must be a wonderful sort of document, and herewith send you the original draft of it, to be put into alcohol and preserved forever like a curious reptile. They live right well at the Grand Duke Michael's. Their breakfasts are not gorgeous, but very excellent. And if Michael were to say the word, I would go there and breakfast with him tomorrow. Yours affectionately, Sam. P.S. Written across the face of the last page, they had told us it would be polite to invite the Emperor to visit the ship, though he would not be likely to do it but he didn't give us a chance. He has requested permission to come on board with his family and all his relations tomorrow and take a sail, in case it is calm weather. I can entertain them. My hand is in now, and if you want any more emperors feeded in style, trot them out. The next letter is of interest in that it gives us the program and volume of his work, with all the sight-seeing, he was averaging a full four letters a week, long letters, requiring careful observation and inquiry. How fresh and impressionable and full of vigor he was, even in that fierce southern heat. No one makes the Mediterranean trip in summer today, and the thought of adding constant letter-writing to steady travel through southern France, Italy, Greece, and Turkey in blazing midsummer is stupefying and Syria and Egypt in September. To Mrs. Jane Clemens and family in St. Louis, Constantinople, September 1, 67. Dear folks, all well. Do the altars come regularly? I wish I knew whether my letters reached them or not. Look over the back papers and see. I wrote them as follows. One letter from Fial in the Azores Islands, one from Gibraltar in Spain, one from Tangier in Africa, two from Paris and Marseille in France, one from Genoa in Italy, one from Milan, one from Lake Como, one from some little place in Switzerland, have forgotten the name, four concerning Lecce, Bergamo, Padua, Verona, Battlefield of Marengo, Pistachio, and some other cities in northern Italy. Two from Venice, one about Bologna, one from Florence, one from Pisa, one from Leghorn, one from Rome and Civita Vecchia, two from Naples, one about Pazzuoli, where St. Paul landed, the Baths of Nero, and the ruins of Baia, Virgil's tomb the Elysian fields, the sunken cities, and the spot where Ulysses landed, one from Herculaneum and Vesuvius, one from Pompeii, one from the island of Ischia, 
one concerning the volcano of Stromboli, the city and straits of Messina, the land of Sicily, Scylla and Charybdis, etc., one about the Grecian archipelago, one about a midnight visit to Athens, the Piraeus, and the ruins of the Acropolis, one about the Hellespont, the site of ancient Troy, the Sea of Marmara, etc., two about Constantinople, the Golden Horn, and the beauties of the Bosphorus, one from Odessa and Sebastopol in Russia, the Black Sea, etc., two from Yalta, Russia, concerning a visit to the Tsar, and yesterday I wrote another letter from Constantinople, and one today about its neighbor in Asia, Scatter. I am not done with Turkey yet, shall write two or three more. I have written to the New York Herald two letters from Naples, no name signed, and one from Constantinople. To the New York Tribune I have written one from Fyle, one from Civita Vecchia in the Roman States, two from Yalta, Russia, and one from Constantinople. I have never seen any of these letters in print except the one to the Tribune from Fyle, and that was not worth printing. We sail hence tomorrow, perhaps, and my next letters will be mailed at Smyrna in Syria. I hope to write from the Sea of Tiberias, Damascus, Jerusalem, Joppa, and possibly other points in the Holy Land. The letters from Egypt, the Nile, and Algiers, I will look out for myself. I will bring them in my pocket. They take the finest photographs in the world here. I have ordered some. They will be sent to Alexandria, Egypt. You cannot conceive of anything so beautiful as Constantinople, viewed from the Golden Horn or the Bosphorus. I think it must be the handsomest city in the world. I will go on deck and look at it for you, directly. I am staying in the ship tonight. I generally stay on shore when we are in port. But yesterday I just ran myself down. Dan Sloat, my roommate, is on shore. He remained here while we went up the Black Sea, but it seems he has not got enough of it yet. I thought Dan had got the stateroom pretty full of rubbish at last, but a while ago his dragoman arrived with a brand new ghastly tombstone of the oriental pattern, with his name handsomely carved and gilded on it, in Turkish characters. That fellow will buy a Circassian slave next. I am tired. We are going on a trip tomorrow. I must to bed. Love to all. Yours, Sam. U.S. Consul's Office, Beirut, Syria. September 11, 1867. Dear folks, We are here, eight of us, making a contract with a dragoman to take us to Baalbek, then to Damascus, Nazareth, etc., then to Lake Gennesareth, Sea of Tiberias, then south through all the celebrated scriptural localities to Jerusalem, then to the Dead Sea, the cave of Machpelah, and up to Joppa, where the ship will be. We shall be in the saddle three weeks. We have horses, tents, provisions, arms, a dragoman, and two other servants, and we pay five dollars a day apiece, in gold. Love to all. Yours, Sam. 
We leave tonight at two o'clock in the morning. There appear to be no further home letters written from Syria, and none from Egypt. Perhaps with the desert and the delta, the heat at last became too fearful for anything beyond the actual requirements of the day. When he began his next, it was October, and the fiercer travel was behind him. To Mrs. Jane Clemens and family in St. Louis. Cagare, Sardinia, October 12, 1867. Dear folks, we have just dropped anchor before this handsome city, and Algiers, Africa, October 15. They would not let us land at Cagare, on account of cholera. Nothing to write. Malaga, Spain, October 17. The captain and I are ashore here under guard, waiting to know whether they will let the ship anchor or not. Quarantine regulations are very strict here on all vessels coming from Egypt. I am a little anxious because I want to go inland to Granada and see the Alhambra. I can go on down by Seville and Cordova and be picked up at Cadiz. Later. We cannot anchor. Must go on. We shall be at Gibraltar before midnight, and I think I will go horseback, a long days, and thence by rail and diligence to Cadiz. I will not mail this till I see the Gibraltar lights. I begin to think they won't let us in anywhere. 11.30 p.m. Gibraltar at anchor and all right but they won't let us land till morning it is a waste of valuable time we shall reach new york middle of november yours sam cadiz october twenty fourth eighteen sixty seven dear folks we left gibraltar at noon and rode to algeciras four hours thus dodging the quarantine took dinner and then rode horseback all night in a swinging trot and at daylight took a caliche a wheeled vehicle and rode five hours then took cars and traveled to twelve at night that landed us at seville and we were over the hard part of our trip and somewhat tired since then we have taken things comparatively easy drifting around from one town to another and attracting a good deal of attention for I guess strangers do not wander through Andalusia and the other southern provinces of Spain often. The country is precisely as it was when Don Quixote and Sancho Panza were possible characters. But I see now what the glory of Spain must have been when it was under Moorish domination. No, I will not say that, but then when one is carried away, infatuated, entranced, with the wonders of the Alhambra and the supernatural beauty of the Alcazar, he is apt to overflow with admiration for the splendid intellects that created them. I cannot write now. I am only dropping a line to let you know I am well. The ship will call for us here tomorrow. We may stop at Lisbon and shall at the Bermudas, and will arrive in New York ten days after this letter gets there. Sam this is the last personal letter written during that famous first sea gypsying 
and reading it our regret grows that he did not put something of his spanish excursion into his book he never returned to spain and he never wrote of it only the barest mention of seven beautiful days is found in the innocence abroad end of section eight recording by james k white chula vista